0: From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast.
1: Michael Tracos of Post Media, welcome back. We have a trade to talk about. We have something very fascinating to talk a about. A November trade, John. A November trade. You've been on the podcast maybe almost close to 10 times, maybe 10 times now, and I don't think we've ever done sort of a reaction off the top. So Matt Duchesne finally gets traded. He's gone. He's gone from the hell that is the Colorado Avalanche, and he is off to Ottawa. And <laughs> I don't want to see. <laughs> it's it's a it's a three way trade. It's a new sort of hell for him. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on how Maybe you look not. at things. And then Kyle Turris goes to Nashville. And then here's the long list of what Colorado's getting in this third three way trade: Ottawa first rounder, which is top ten protected; Ottawa third rounder, Shane Bowers, Andrew Hammond. So those are all from Ottawa. And then from Nashville, they're getting a second rounder, Samuel Girard, and Vlad Kamenev. What are your initial thoughts on this trade about, I don't know, 15 hours after it happened?
0: Well, good on Joe Sackick. I'll say that much. Uh, when you've got a player uh, who's disgruntled and um, maybe at one point didn't even look like he was going to come to training camp, and you're able to kind of um, work with them and uh, get this sort of bounty. And you know what? i know a lot of people are saying oh colorado didn't get enough you're dealing with a guy that didn't want to be there um so right off the top you're you're dealing from a position of weakness and you know what we'll see what becomes of these guys And, and i think that's ultimately gonna uh determine whether colorado actually did well or not with this um and you know what maybe they've got enough pieces here where they could flip it and um trade some of those draft picks or prospects for actual roster players. But I think the big piece for them is Samuel Gerrard. Um, undersized defenseman, um, can really move the puck, offensive, could probably play in their top four at some point. Um, and you know what? For Nashville, he wasn't going to get in their top four. Like when you got a defense as strong as Nashville has, um, you're allowed to deal some depth. And yeah. I think when you're talking the real winners, obviously Duchenne gets out of an uncomfortable situation. Sackick makes the most out of a, a difficult situation, uh, but the real winner, I thought, was David Poyle. Um, once again, like, this guy. If I, don't pick up the phone if he's calling. So in the last four years, he's gotten Philip Forsberg from Washington for Martin Urett. Um <laughs> He gets uh, yeah, Roger Hansen for Seth Jones, which, you know, yeah. that's a pretty even deal. Yeah. It's basically each team uh, filling a need. Um, he gets P.K. Subban for Shea Weber, um, younger, more mobile defenseman. I think that's going to work out if it already hasn't for Nashville. And now he gets Kyle Turris, number two center, the play behind Ryan Johansson, uh, gives them a one-two up the punch of Johansson and Turris. Um, it's just such a smart move. And really all you are given up is two guys that were drafted in the second round and a second round draft pick for a team that's probably going to be finishing uh, near the top of the standings in the West.
1: Yeah, I'd say you can make an argument for every team winning this in their own realm, you know what I mean? In right. their own uh in their own context of, of where their teams are at, because Nashville, like you alluded to, has this defensive depth that's that's unparalleled across the league. Totally. And this guy, Samuel Gerard, who you never know, maybe he doesn't turn out to be much, but maybe he becomes, you know, a top pairing defenseman. Like I feel like his uh the variance is is pretty big there. So, you know, you you like even,
0: even worst case scenario, say if he becomes a number one defenseman. Really, you were going to have to trade him or you're going to have to trade another defenseman yeah. off that group. And for Nashville, like you said, they made the finals last year.
1: They have to push push to get the centerman that, that they need. Now Nick Bonino is the number three centerman. He was signed in the summer. Perfect slot for him. Signed in the summer to be number two and everyone's going, oh, I don't know about that. And Ryan Johansson going out last year in the playoffs really, really probably opened uh, the organization's eyes to like, we are absolutely screwed without him on the ice. Um, so, Tur- I, I don't know. I'm not the no, not super high on Taurus, but he's fine as a number two center. He's um, perfect. And you know what, Ottawa even like, I, I think it's
0: a great optics kind of trade for them because realistically they weren't going to sign Taurus. Right. It That's like all signs were pointing yeah. to him leaving Ottawa at the end of the year, and it was going to be really kind of another example of Ottawa just can't retain their players and can't pay their players. So you got Eric Carlson coming up for a contract extension, and now. If you're able to, well, you're able to get Matt Duchesne in this trade, who's maybe a slight upgrade over tourists uh, when you look at offensively and what he can yeah, do. Yeah, definitely. If you're able to re-sign him, that sends a heck of a message to Eric Carlson and his camp saying, and just hearing the comments that of Pierre Dorian, um, it looks like they've already gotten uh, preliminary talks with uh, Duchesne's agent, Pat Bresson. It, it looks like that's, both camps are moving in that direction, like, hey, we'd like an extension when the time comes. So if they can get him signed to an extension, I think that's going to be huge in terms of what that message uh, is being sent to a guy like Carlson.
1: Yeah, and Turris signed immediately after the trade. He signed with Nashville, um, a six-year extension, $36 million. And Duchesne is up after next season. So, yeah, they have plenty of time to figure that situation out. And you you assume that that Duchesne wants to to settle down and not, not be – in sort of a state of flux like he has been like this, this whole situation in Colorado dragged on for literally it's over a long. year, almost two years. I would even argue before that, like when
0: Patrick Roy, uh, uh, Roy was, I uh, can I say his last name. Wah. Patrick
1: Waugh. Wah. Pat Roy. <laughs> <laughs> You're really uh, anglophoning phoning that. It's been so long. Yeah. What happened to that guy? He just fell face the other <laughs> yeah, I when understand. Patrick Waugh was the coach. Like
0: there were rumblings that uh, Duchenne was going to be gone back then. Like, so, you're right. And it's funny, though, because here's a question for you, John. Is right. Colorado a rebuilding team where they're thinking three to five years from now they're going to uh, ice the team that they hope? Or when you've got a team with Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, and some other pieces there. Are you thinking, hey, we should maybe convert some of these prospects and picks to legitimate players right now? And sort of, I don't think say go for it, but
1: be like – I think they're further away from competing. Uh, sorry, I think they're closer to, to the bottom than they are from getting anywhere near to competing. Hmm. I'll put it that way. They I, have really that, good I'm, pieces. I, I don't
0: know. Like I, I think I'm waiting for that other kind of shoe to drop. Like, I know they need a lot of help on defense, but they've got a good goalie. Um, I really like Nate McKinnon when he's Rantanen. playing like him. Rantanen. Like They do have some intriguing players where you're looking at Jersey and saying, okay, um... Is Colorado Rasmus Dahlin or Svechnikov away from being a real kind of, I'm gonna say, cup contender? But taking a a giant step forward, and maybe you convert some of these picks and prospects to roster players and help that along.
1: Well, presumably this trade puts them on the fast track to get in contention for Dahlin or or a better get Dahlin a better probability, right? So I mean, they could easily not get him, but I think their probability went up uh, after making this trade. So once they get him. Yes, yeah, the table's turn, but I think uh, they don't look too different than they did last year uh, when you actually watch their games and whatnot. But, um, yeah, a guy like Dolan can solve a lot of teams' problems yeah. when you're talking. And for people out there who aren't
0: familiar with this guy, like he's basically yet another Swede that's being compared to Nicholas Lidstrom and Eric Carlson. But you look at the highlights, and I saw him at the World Juniors, and he's unreal uh, at his age, so... Um, could be a game changer for a lot of teams, especially Colorado, where where they have Eric Johnson and a
1: bunch of dudes. Yeah, on defense, essentially. So, well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess agree to disagree on uh, on their state. <laughs> I just I just don't I don't have a lot of faith in in where they've gone and you don't like the numbers, Joe, and where they're going. <laughs> but um, let's transition to our original plan for this podcast that we were actually going to do last week, and then I got sick and it got pushed. So. Um, I want to ask you a bunch of true and false questions and uh, we'll see how many we get through. We got a, we got a time limit here, but um, okay. I'm going to ask you a true and false question then we're going to go from there um, off of your answer. So,
0: number one, and this is
1: all league-wide questions, uh, no real um, tunnel that we're going down. We're kind of going down a bunch of different paths. So, number one, this is the statement. Nikita Kutrov is a top five player in the NHL. True or false? True, if we're talking forwards. Okay, explain. And then, so if we're talk- I'm talking about players. So I know. Well, that includes uh, defense angle. I think that's. I think that's more difficult because then you got Carlson. You've got. Well, let's go through your your list. So one, two, McDavid, and, and yeah, McCrosby. you know, I,
0: right now I've got Austin Matthews ahead of Kucherov. Okay. Um, and I, yeah, so I got Crosby, uh, McDavid, uh, Matthews, Carlson. And then it gets kind of... I think you got some sticky kind of choices. You've got a lot of players that are in that mix. Um, I think Kucherov is better than Stamkos. How's that? Um, no, yeah, weird. I agree. So, I just don't know where you slot him. Um, like, do you slot him ahead of Anzi Kopitar, even?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's just, they're different players. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. oh. so, I think yeah. I'm... I'm drawn to goal scorers because I think uh, scoring and scoring consistently and scoring goals that other players can't score is a really special thing. And uh, Matthews and Kucherov are on the same plane, in my opinion, in regards to the way that they can finish and and the dozens of ways that they can score goals. There's a difference between scoring from a point shot and scoring off the rush, uh, top corner far side or whatever. And they, they can do that with ease. Um, my my top five, and um, I'm not entirely sure how it shakes after after number four. But um, Crosby, McDavid are one and one a, and then I, I have Carlson number three, and then number four and five, uh, Kucherov either four or five, and and the other spot spot is taken up by either Kane or Price or Malkin or Hedman. Like there's like a whole list of sort of that tier in my opinion. Yeah, how do you have Matthews? I guess Matthews would be part of that tier as well. Yeah. Um,
0: with Kucherov, I even think like he, a guy like John Tavares, he doesn't get a whole lot no. of love. Jeez, um, what he's doing this year and what he's done—look at him the last five years, really on a team where not surrounded with a whole lot of secondary scoring—is
1: quite amazing. He's been on an island, you could say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Kucherov is uh, is really—I I like him. He's I, taken I, the league by storm in the, over the last two years. Totally. He's first in goals since the start of last season, second in points to McDavid, and uh, there's just something to be said for for being so dangerous.
0: And he did it without Stamkos last year. So anyone is thinking, oh, okay, well, he plays with Steven Stamkos. Did it
1: without Stamkos. Yeah. And he's turned Stamkos into a, an assist getter now. He almost single-handedly took the uh, the lightning to the playoffs last year, which, totally. which seemed absolutely uh, out of left field because of, of what had happened to them in the first half of the season. So I was interested to to hear what you'd say about that, Um, and I guess you're you're basically saying if he if we're talking forwards, he's in your top five.
0: Forwards, one hundred percent. You know, even if like I said, defenseman. Then when when it really came down to it, really Eric Carlson's the only guy that had put in the top five. And for goaltenders, normally Price would be slam dunk, yeah, one hundred percent. And yet, the guy's been injured so much and. I'm not know. ready to give up on him. I'm not giving up on him, but I don't think he's top five anymore, right? In terms of just if you're saying top five players in the league, who would you take? Price used to be there, slam dunk. He's not there anymore.
1: Yeah, I think uh, after the top three, there's a lot of debate that think that can go on. Um, there's something about Kucherov where where I I'm okay with having him in number four, um, and Matthews is is right in that territory, which is um, the dude's got almost mind blowing. Nine goals after. Something like eighty games, or no, ninety games or something, or hundred. Uh, I think he's close to hundred. I think he's like ninety six or ninety seven now. That's dumb. <laughs> it's a, it really is, and as a center too. And just him and Kucherov with their 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 shots are not only accurate, not only hard, but deceptive, and they 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 use defensemen similarly. There's something about that type of player, and I don't know if you call it a new type of player because there have been guys in the past, but and I don't know if it's because we're paying more attention to it on broadcasts and in the media and whatnot, but that seems like uh, sort of the bread and butter of, the, of these type of players. These, these real snipers that aren't out. Alex, Alex Ovechkin is, is one timer or maybe off the rush rush, but he's more volume, right? He's throwing every mm-hmm. puck at the net. These guys seem more selective and also seem to be shooting, you know, hash marks in. Yeah. I don't see Austin Matthews take a whole lot of slap shots. It
0: um, seems with Gutrov. it's a lot of, like you said, off the rush, just kind of a goalie thinks he might be passing it or still working on a deke, and all of a sudden you're like curling and dragging that thing and uh, firing it in. It's They're both
1: appointment viewing at this point, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, and, and their they, teams their teams in general, uh, Tampa's power play has been crushing it, and, and a lot of that is, is Stamkos and Kucherov are two deadly weapons that work so well together. Yeah, it's funny. You can go around the league and find basically even
0: like an Arizona is entertaining to watch just because they've got a kid there, Clayton Keller, who... Um,
1: Wait a second. Let me get on to our second true and false thing. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me cut you off, and uh, here's the, the next statement. <laughs> Clayton Keller is the runaway Calder favorite.
0: 100% yes. They are true. Um, I don't even know who would... Really be up there. uh, After the weekend, Barzell is
1: at least in the conversation.
0: uh, and Yeah, and I guess LA's got a guy, Adrian Kempe, who played with uh, Nylander a lot over in Sweden, who'd be in that mix as well. But um, just looking at his points there, after 14 games, Kempe's got six goals and 10 assists. But come on now. like (laughs) Clayton Keller plays on a team um, that has, what, two wins this year. And the guy's got 10 goals in 15 games, 16 points in 15 games. Is just unreal, and it's not a surprise. Like, he shattered a lot of records when he was at the U.S. development program. Um, this has been a long time kind of coming for this guy. He's just fun to watch. He's Patrick Kane, he's Johnny Goudreau kind
1: of mixed into one. Um, just a real nose for the net. Yeah, he might be the only bright spot on the Coyotes at this point. Might I watched, uh, I believe it was last like Wednesday or Thursday. I watched uh, the Coyotes. Who did they play? I'm totally drawing a blank, but. They gave up. I believe they were up. They were up by a lot. The other team battled back, and then they just choked. And it was it was ugly to watch. And then afterwards, Rick Talkett was talking to the broadcast broadcast crew and was just beside himself. Like, oh, was that the Buffalo one? It was the Buffalo yeah, one. Yeah, yes, yeah. and it, it was, was just it was it was so sad to see because one, he's a new coach, and two, it's like ten games of the season, and this team's already having him, you know, having him pull his hair out. He's just. It's it's tough because there's a lot of guys, according to him, that that are passengers right now, and obviously Keller is not one. So that almost yeah. makes him and I even more valuable, too. right? I thought that was going to be a good team. I know that you you think with with Ranta, and mind you, he was injured for for the start of the season, but with Ranta coming in, John Merson. Derek Stepan, yeah, and it hasn't, at least in the, in the early goings in the first month of the season, made a, a mark. A big difference.
0: No, it's it just been awful. Uh, like you said, Clayton Keller has been the only guy there. And yeah, at, at one point I was like, "Hey, why isn't Dylan Strom up with this team? Like he should be playing there." And then you're looking, "Yeah, stay in the minors, yeah. Dylan. Put up points and develop." When we figure it out, there. we'll call you up. Exactly. It's almost like the Mitch Marner situation. Like, well, why is not Marner good enough to make leaves? Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't call him up now.
1: He's in a good spot, being away from this tire fire. Um. Sergachev's look pretty good for Tampa. Will Butchers looked quite productive with uh, New Jersey and uh, Jesper Bratt. I don't know. If, I don't know if these guys are going to have the same sustainability as Keller because I feel like Keller is more of the real deal. Uh, and he's going to get a lot
0: of opportunity. Like the worst that Arizona plays, um, you can let him go out every shift and. Not worry, but, oh, okay, is he getting scored on, whatever. He's already You're playing. Not trying to win games. He's
1: already playing 18 minutes, 21 minutes, 19 minutes, 20 minutes. Like that. that was he's almost, averaging almost 20 minutes a day. Yeah. 1952, right? I just read off his uh, his game logs from the last uh, few games. And um, if that's the start of the season, unless they turn it around, which you would think they will to an extent and not be uh, basically uh, unable to win a hockey game in, in the first uh in the first but month a, of the it's season. it's a good
0: situation, really, for him. Like, we're talking about the fact that he's playing almost 20 minutes a night. Had they been really competitive, um, obviously you're going to lean on him because he's one of your top players, but um, maybe he doesn't get this many minutes. Maybe you're kind of sheltering him, whereas now you just, say, throw him out and just kind of let him figure things out and just develop. So,
1: What about Mitch Marner um, for another true and false Mitch Marner will get 62 points, a.k.a. one more than his total as a rookie this season.
0: Yeah, I, I say true. Uh, I, I think, obviously, we haven't seen the best of Mitch. And lately, I think we've seen a little bit of a better version of him. Um, going into, or recording this prior to uh, Toronto's game yes. against Vegas. Monday night. So after 15 games, he has seven uh, points, which isn't a lot, but... Um, Even at this pace, um, he's going to be on pace for close to 40 points, and I expect him to increase those numbers. Um, The thing that really stands out with me uh, when I watch Mitch's game is he's only got one goal in those first 15, so he's got to get scoring a little bit more. I'm surprised that um, the puck's just not going in for him. Uh, I wonder if a lot of teams are just kind of wise to the fact that you don't have to play the shot on him. You can basically... um, worry about his line mates and think okay he's gonna try to um, sneak a a puck through uh, a bunch of sticks and try to get it to them and saying okay take the shot Mitch because we know you're not going to use it and because of that he's either turning the puck over because of a a lot of passes or just going through or aren't going through or he's taking a shot that's just not really um, fooling anyone right now but yeah I, I still think he's gonna get past the I think he's gonna build upon what he did last year. I think I might be in the minority there, but yeah. I, well, he has a he has
1: a hill to climb just based on number of games does, left versus he what he's so produced so, so good far last year. Like, I know,
0: like he was. I, I I debated whether or not he actually had a better year than Matthews just because of how much he drove that. Um, yes, Kadri or sorry, that Bozak JV JVR line.
1: Yeah, and I know at one point last year people were talking about I don't know if it was on Twitter or or in mainstream media, but about the fact that Marner might actually out produce matthews you know not necessarily this year but down the road that he's an art ross caliber player um i mean this season we're obviously not seeing it but also matthews is such a special player and everything has gone so perfectly well for him in the first almost 100 games that we sort of lose perspective on guys like marner we compare him to matthews and we go wow like what's going on in the second season but really I think these hiccups are, are fairly normal. And he's been...
0: Well, he's also been on the fourth line. I was going to say, he's, been,
1: he's he's had, what, two or three centermen this year? Maybe yeah. even more.
0: And I think a big part of his lack of production is, you look at Tyler Bozak, and, well, Bozak had career numbers and goals and, I think, points last year. And this year, he, he struggled a lot, too, where I think he's finding his game. Uh, four goals, eight points in 15 games. Pretty good, actually. Um, not, not, But... I think as Bozak goes, I think Marner's gonna have, be helped out, and you know it's it's that age old question. Like you put Marner, oh sorry, yeah, you put Marner with Matthews, and uh, how much better is he gonna be? Um, and, and that's one thing that we really haven't seen. Like we see Nylander, obviously with Matthews, and that seems to be a staple right now. But uh, I wonder at some point if we're gonna see uh, Mitch with uh, Austin and um, see what those guys can do because Mitch is such a
1: great playmaker, and Austin likes to shoot. It seems like it could be a match made in heaven. Well, I think uh, the way that Mike Babcock is is looking at his team right now, and this is my interpretation of how he's expressed himself, is that a guy like Mitch Marner isn't hasn't been the issue. There's a lot of veterans that he feels haven't been carrying the weight up front, and he's kept the Matthews line intact for the most part, um, which tells me that he's happy with them. So. As much as Marner is um, an elite player or was at the junior level and and has shown flashes of it at the NHL level, I think he still hasn't found his way and there's still been some growing pains, at least in regards to how he fits into the Toronto system or the Toronto uh, lineup. And, you know, he was with Bozak and JVR basically all of last year. So there's very little... um, adjustment there after a few games you're playing with them you're going okay i know these guys i know their tendencies now he's been shuffled around so um there's still i guess a learning curve for him to go through and on the other side he's gonna he's gonna be fine and i don't think many people out there are doubting that he's uh he's an important part of the franchise and will will start getting more minutes and start getting better looks uh as as the year progresses yeah, I
0: think we're going to see this uh, out of a lot of Toronto players. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a luxury of having this much depth at forward um, where someone's going to have to um, take the short end or get the short end of the stick um, or in terms of who's going to be on that fourth line. And some nights it's going to be Connor Brown. Some nights it's going to be Mitch Marner and maybe even a William Nylander or a JVR or uh, a Leo Komarov. Like, they're all going to have to play... Uh, fewer minutes than they probably deserve or would get on another team but that's just the reality of you've just got too many players there and not enough positions so uh, right now connor brown is just going so well um what does he have like as we're talking here i think he has goals in his last three or four games which is just remarkable um so yeah from from marner it's like you're battling brown you're battling all these guys for ice time and some nights you're not going to get it and you just have to kind of take that with a grain of salt but Uh, that's going to probably be what affects whether or not Mitch Marner builds upon last year or not is um, where is he playing in the lineup, how is he being used, and um, how good are his line mates? Because, um, like I said, if you're playing with a guy in Bozak that is struggling, well, he's not going to put the puck in, and how are you going to get your assists uh, if the guys you're playing with aren't well?
1: Okay, next question. Or next statement, I should say. All right. Scoring will fall to normal levels soon. And uh, some context to that: right now in the NHL, uh, there's 6.18 goals being scored per game. That's including both teams, and that's the highest since 2005-2006. Uh, so it's clearly up, um, and by a fair amount. If if you want to uh, really look deep into the numbers, do you think that continues, or do you think uh, that what we're seeing is is sort of just some early season, uh, you know, I guess mirage?
0: Yeah, well, there's two things to this. Okay, so the first part is there's a lot of good name goalies, uh, whether it's Carey Price, Cam Talbot, uh, Frederick Anderson, um, guys of that Craig Anderson, um, who are having just abysmal starts to the season. So those guys are going to get better based, like, based on their track record. Yeah. So goals should go down once the premier starters in the NHL start playing better. But they're not gonna. It's not gonna get back to normal levels because you still have that um, directive by the league that they're calling a lot more slashing penalties and just a lot more penalties in general. Like we saw it the other night where Austin Matthews gets a penalty shot uh, on basically a nothing slash from Anzi Kopitar, um, ends up scoring on it, and you're looking at that, going, "Well, this is Anzi Kopitar. He's a selkie. Was he a selkie winner? At least he's always won a, He's won discussion. at least once." And it wasn't a hard play. It wasn't a slash. But if those are getting called on a guy that ha- should have a lot of respect from the, the refs, it, it's just you look at the league uh, every game. Look at the game sheets, and there's like four or five slashing penalties a night. Because of that, there's a lot more power play opportunities. And just to jump goals. in,
1: there's been one more power play opportunity per game as of now. So that's Is that a lot that adds a, adds a lot? lot? No, that's a lot that's because a lot. Okay. it's averaged over 31 teams, right? It sounds like a lot when you say there's one break. One per team per game, or um, I think it's one per team or uh, one per game per, per team. Game.
0: Yeah, I guess you know what. So that's one more extra opportunity. Yeah. So they're getting closer to four per game so, than three per game. So yeah, yeah. I maybe that affects it. I, it's a combination of the two. Like goaltenders just haven't been this sharp in the first month. Um, the goalies that we expect, at least. And but but yeah, the penalties, and I think because so even if like slashing penalties decrease. I think a lot of players are maybe um, being less sticky with their <laughs> sticks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, if I'm playing you one on one, and normally yeah. I would hook, hold, slash you. Now I'm saying, okay, well, giving them I'm, like a, a couple inches to yeah, do their there's thing. There's a little yeah. grace there. There's yeah. a little kind of more space, I think, for the elite players. And you give McDavid, Matthews, Kane a fraction of an inch, uh, that extra half second, and they can make you pay. Um, Whereas before you're putting a stick on them and maybe uh, changing how they go around you.
1: So are you are you happy with more uh, power play time, or would you rather there be more five on five?
0: See, that's a tricky question because
1: I like goals, but I don't like this idea that hockey
0: is kind of turning into lacrosse, where it just seems like there's a set offense, or like basketball. Right. Like I, I like that flow of five on five hockey. So yeah, yeah, I'd rather have five on five, but. Ideally, and I think this is what the league wants. They don't necessarily want more power plays, or maybe they do. But I, I think ideally, you want. I think they want more
1: scoring, and this is a way I think to want scoring. And I think you just want them.
0: defensemen to just do what they did, like uh, after the the two thousand four five lockout, where um, they just changed how they play. They just realized, okay, I can't hook and hold, so I have to give forward space. And because of that, yeah. you've got a bit more flow and it's more speed to the game. Well, and that's
1: the thing is, is maybe we see. Uh, a better hockey game quote unquote next 100%. year when everyone has adapted because you go around to a, an NHL dressing room right now and you ask them about slashing or the faceoffs, they're still confused a mind you maybe they're they're kind of uh, being aloof on purpose but regardless they are they're claiming innocence or ignorance and and we're you know a month into the season so I think it takes a little time for things to flow through and for coaches even to to understand what the ref wants from you what you can and cannot do yeah and you know probably gonna see a lot of kind of roster decisions based
0: on that like we saw like the, those big bulky defensemen kind of go by the wayside after yeah so now we're seeing a lot more undersized defensemen who can skate and, and maybe that's the that's what's going to happen with this new slashing rule is like if you really can't skate and you can't put a stick on someone you're going to get exposed real quick so the samuel gerrards like we're mentioning Uh, Those guys who are more fleet of foot, they're going to be in high demand.
1: Okay, next topic. Let's do it. The statement is, Hendrik Lundqvist is no longer elite. True or false?
0: True. He's old,
1: man. We all get old. (laughs) (laughs) Are you having a midlife crisis right
0: now? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. He's playing for not a great team, but
1: I don't know. He's 35 years old. The thing that I try... He hasn't been good. He wasn't good last year either. I try to pay attention to body language, especially with goaltenders. <laughs> and Henrik Lundqvist's body language is, at least through the first ten games, when things were really uh, looking looking ugly in in New York, he's slamming a stick constantly. He's throwing his arms up in the oh, air, okay. that type of stuff. Where you know, let's face it, goaltenders across all sports have to have uh, sort of the mental fortitude to just shake things off. No matter you know if they thought it was interference, you maybe complain for a minute, and then you're you know, you're focusing on on the present moment, and I felt like he was getting caught up in in a lot of uh, situations that he didn't have control over. Um, and his his five on five save percentage is below the bottom of the league among starters, so that's concerning because you know you can't you can't blame the power play or the or the uh, the penalty kill at that point if you're just factoring in even strength. And there's one stat that that Rob Vollman. Uh, I don't know if he created it, but he brought it over from baseball, uh, quality starts. And um, for goalies, that's basically if you're playing above league average in a game. And at least in the first 10 games that, that Lundquist played, he only had four quality starts. So that, to me, huh. tells me that he's not carrying uh, carrying his load. And mind you, there's obviously team factors, and, and that's that's an issue with stats like quality starts. But at the same time, over a big enough sample, you know, let's say half halfway through the season, if we if we don't see many changes, then then maybe Lundqvist is falling back to league average levels as opposed to being Mr. Elite like Carey Price. Uh, I guess that's that's the uh, caveat here, right? Is that Lundqvist's normal is very high.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I'm not going to totally write him off, but I think it's unrealistic to think that um, his best days are ahead of him. Like he's 35 years old. You look at Marty Berger who. Was a total horse. Like he played up until what he was forty. What is low for Low forties. I 40s, think forty-one right? or something. Yeah, and I'm looking back at his final like five years or five, six, seven years in the league, and th- there's a there's a drop off. It, it's he's not the Marty Bradtuer that he was um, early on in his career, and I think it's just natural. Um, that being said, I agree with what you just said. Like his uh, lungfish is normal. It's still better than a lot of teams. Yeah, the baseline uh, is very high. Totally. So, um, is it elite? Probably not. Is it still good enough to be a starter, or at least uh, the number one in a one A one B situation? Yeah. So take that for what what it's worth. Yeah, and
1: let's face it. I mean, he's turning thirty six in March, so it's just natural. This shouldn't be uh, an indictment on on Lundqvist, right? Like Marty Brodurer. And the team hasn't been very good.
0: No. And Marty yeah.
1: Brodeur, even as he aged, like he wasn't getting any better. There's a certain point where you peak, and then and then you start. And it's a matter of uh, fighting it back, or or how uh, you're able to 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 uh, lessen, I guess, I guess the uh, the fallback or the regression. Um, and some goalies are better at that than, than others. But
0: it just it sucks for New Jersey because before you had. Um, New Jersey or New York? Sorry, New York. Yeah, you had what Cam Talbot as uh, your backup. Yes, Uh, and then you had Antti (laughs) Ranta, and now you've got Andre Pavlik. um, Yeah. (laughs) So there's no safety net now. Whereas maybe you could have had Andre Pavlik as your backup five years ago, (laughs) but now you really want a a Cam Talbot, or you want a such as the salary cap era, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of reverse. It's like when he does need a backup to kind of help him
1: through these tough times. You don't have one. Okay, I'm going to throw one more at you. Um, Stapen. The Golden Knights will challenge for a playoff spot at the end of the season.
0: They will challenge. True. They will
1: not get it. I guess define challenge. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I think they're going to be in the mix. I think in the final month of the season. I don't think, okay, by the trade deadline, Vegas might trade off assets, but I don't think they're going to be in a position where you're saying that team is a seller. Uh, I think you're going to be looking at them going, geez, like they're still in it. But what do you do if you're George McPhee?
1: Because you want to build a long-term. That's going to be a difficult choice. Sustainable team. But at the same time, you've got a a new fan base. You want to appease them in some regard. So do you, like you said, kind of walk the middle line? That's going to be a real tough
0: choice for them. Because for the betterment of this team long-term, I do think that they need to rebuild and uh, get as many guys uh, in the draft as possible and enough prospects like um, they have Cody Glass they have Nick Suzuki coming that they drafted this year uh, that's not enough they, they need more and more and more players uh, to come that way and when you're looking at this year's um, <clears throat> uh, I guess the guys who are on UFA they, they don't have a whole lot of guys that are uh, rental players that fit that mold where um, they're on the final year of a contract and I think that's going to be the difficult part is you can't I don't know if you can unload a, a James Neal. Um, actually, sorry, I, I was wrong about that. Uh, you do have some guys. I thought like a lot a, yeah. of their defensemen were on their yeah, last year. you still James Neal's on the final year of his contract. So if he keeps scoring like he, how he is, he's going to be interesting. It'll be uh, hard to say no to
1: those offers, presumably, coming yeah. in George McPhee's way.
0: Yeah, I kind of take back what I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know what? Even if they're kind of middling, uh, middle-of-the-pack kind of team, and you say, oh, wow, they could go for it here i would i would think george mcphee has to sort of start cutting bait and saying okay well for the good of the franchise we're going to give younger players like alex tuck more of an opportunity and a guy like james neal we have to trade him because um
1: he'll give us a a first or a second round pick and you know the long-term future we need those picks so do you think this team right now they are a few games above 500 obviously got off to that ridiculous start tremendous story um but as they're constructed right now, let's say leading up to the trade deadline, do you think that they'll they'll be able to be competitive and be some version of what they've been in the, in this first month? Because it seems almost like a dream. Like they've gone through like nine thousand goalies. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know they're getting balanced scoring from Neil uh, Perron, Smith. Um, but if you look at their numbers, I mean, they're they're. Very low in the league in scoring chances. Yeah, they're very opportunistic right now, and their shooting percentage is is higher than than you would like if you're uh, if you're thinking long term with this team. And their strength of schedule hasn't been super strong. I'd say it's been like a little on the easy side, but but also a couple a couple of uh, matchups that that they would probably not like to have. Um, yeah, so it's. I mean you need like you need 95 points ish to get in the playoffs and I just don't see them getting there. I know they've given themselves a nice head start, but man, that's a long road. Yeah, I don't know who they're going to push out like
0: right now there seem, seems to be a lot of underachieving teams whether it's uh Edmonton or even uh, Chicago it hasn't really looked um, as dominant as I thought a lot of, or as I expected them to be. Um Anaheim hasn't looked good. Minnesota hasn't looked good. So I, th- I think Vegas is definitely benefiting on the fact that there's just a lot of teams that were playoff teams last year that haven't been playing as well. And I-, I agree with you. The bubble's going to burst eventually. Um, there's only so many uh, games you can win with your number four goalie uh, and with really no game breakers. Let- let's be honest. As good as these players are and as good of a draft as Vegas had, they never ended up with uh, like a Pat Kane or a Tarasenko or a Kucherov they don't have that guy. They have basically guys that are second- and third-line players on most other teams. So uh, They're winning with a
1: team structure, and a, a team system, but yeah, eventually... And an, un, an unknown element. The other teams yeah, don't really know what to them. expect from 20 guys that have never played together and that go tired out... Tired to pre-scout them, I think. Exactly. And you assume that that corrects itself as the season goes along and teams get smarter um, and figure out Gallant's whatever plan he has. I still
0: think they're going to be competitive, though. I think they're going to be. Do you think it, are they better
1: than than you thought they would be? Like like 100% like better. What like in mean? terms of uh, like I guess that's a dumb question since the record is is what it is. But,
0: but beside the record, I think they're more fun, more entertaining than I thought they were going to be.
1: Like, and this is with losing uh, Vadim Shipitschav too. So you wonder if crazy. if that situation had unfolded differently, um, if they would have had another weapon up front. Um, Because he was honestly, he was, him and James Neal and Jonathan Marchisol were the three guys, um, Riley Smith to an extent, Mm -hmm. that I thought would would really drive this offense. And and they lose one of those three or four guys right off the bat.
0: But it's funny, like you got Oscar Lindbergh, um, five goals, Eric Halla, four goals, Alex Tuck, four goals, William Carlson, four goals. Like they're getting production from a lot of guys uh, not named. Uh, James Neal or Riley Smith or Jonathan Marchessault like that so it, it's those kind of guys that are kind of really helping them through this where um, it's not one line attacking it's not a few guys who are attacking it it's literally everyone so uh, I think that's kind of the kind of beauty behind this team is that they do have a lot of depth and it's amazing what you can do with like uh, like a whole roster of second and third liners versus just um, a, a top line a second line and then you lose a lot of Uh, skill
1: after that. I like it as an experiment too where all these cast-offs are going there that compared to other expansion drafts a lot of these guys are young a lot of them are they've shown some flashes of 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 potential at the NHL level but for whatever reason the team had to expose them and I compared to other uh, times when teams have come into the league I just go Oh, I would actually like to watch this team because Alex Tuck. I w- I've always wondered: is this guy actually legit? And now he's at, he's getting playing time. That's that's the one thing that I liked about the expansion draft and the way that um, the team was picked, and also the the way that um, it's worked out in in real time or, or in on the ice in, in the first month. Like we actually get to see Brandon Leipzig, who would be playing for the Marlies probably for the rest of his life if, yeah. if he didn't get let go by by the Leafs. Yeah, it's funny because I talked to with Alex Tuck today in
0: Leipzig about that, and they both said that they're ec- you they know they were ecstatic when Vegas picked them. And Hockey they, players want to play, right? I mean, they want to play, and they said like there's a lot. And, they, and Leipzig was honest about this. He said there's a lot of guys in the minors um, who are just waiting for this sort of opportunity, and the Leafs have maybe like five or six guys who could who are NHL caliber caliber uh, forwards who just can't get up there because there's just a log jam, So. Uh, Vegas was a perfect opportunity for a lot of these guys, and even Jonathan Marcheseau, who undrafted, uh, couldn't find his way in Tampa, was a perfect example of this. It took basically going to Florida as a fourth-line guy, Huberto gets injured, he becomes a first-line guy, and now he's in Vegas as another first-line guy. He said, you know what, the NHL could have a 32nd, a 33rd, a 34th team in the league, and... Really, all you're going to see is more guys from the minors show that they're NHL-caliber players and surprise you. So it is kind of a fun experiment, and I think um, we maybe underestimated how uh, good these minor league players are or these guys who are uh, fourth-line guys on other teams. Give them a little opportunity, and they'll sh- uh, shock you.
1: Before I let you go, uh, give us a little glimpse of what it was like to be there on opening night because you are in Vegas, and – You know, two parts to it. Obviously, there was the horrible tragedy that happened in the lead-up to the game. So there was that layer, that layer of intensity or layer of tension. And then also, what was it like around the town in general, you know, away from the tragedy? Just did you see a lot of Golden Knights uh, apparel? Did you, you know, see billboards? Like, are they a part of the city or are they just sort of this little pocket?
0: It's so weird because everyone I talk to in Vegas, uh, very few of them actually come from Vegas. Like it's it's rare to find a guy who's born and raised in Las right. Vegas who's now saying, "Hey, this team came here. I'm going to be a hockey fan." It's it's generally guys who've been like, okay, I've lived here for ten years, but I'm originally from Detroit and I'm a Red right. Wings fan. Well, now I'm going to become a Golden Knights fan." And there's a lot of that kind of stuff. So right away, you're dealing with hockey fans and you're just converting them from one team to another. But when you talk about that night and like I, I walked around the city, uh, I visited all the memorials. It, it was really kind of if it didn't touch you, I don't know what you were thinking of because it was just such an emotional experience. And then you go to the game, and the crowd is just on its feet uh, cheering. And it was such a great gesture for them bringing out the first responders and um, the people who were there from the, on, on the ground floor uh, when the tragedy happened. And, and I think they just did it completely right. And having Derek Englund um, yeah. – do that short and
1: sweet speech that really great you know,
0: speech. Yeah. And you know what, for a guy that met his wife in Vegas, his kids were born in Vegas. He's lived here for the last like 10 plus years. I think that was really genuine. It wasn't just like, okay, James Neal, say a couple words. Yeah. It was a guy that literally is part of the community. So um, I think they, they, they really hit it on all in the right notes and to get the start that they have, um, have received part, you know, part of it's probably because of how they've turned, I don't want to say turned a tragedy into something positive, but really use that to galvanize the community and just kind of really, I don't know, like it seems like they're playing not just as a team, but with the actual city of Las Vegas uh, on their backs for every night, and they're really building upon that. And then plus when you throw in the fact that a lot of these guys went unprotected by their teams, like talking to Alex Tuck, they said every game some player is saying, hey, this is a team that... <laughs> Basically, yeah. I couldn't get an opportunity on. And they said, we're unprotecting you. I'm putting money on the board. We beat these guys. We're all sharing in this money. Right. And there's a lot of that kind of, hey, we're playing with a it's chip on shoulder. It's very old school. It
1: sounds like something from a movie. Yeah. And
0: they're really becoming, and that's how they've really kind of come together. It's not, not really so much cast-offs, but... Let's be honest, like they're on that team for a reason. Like, if the Leafs really love Brenda Leipzig, they would have they, found a
1: way, made a trade, or exactly
0: left someone so, else unprotected. Yeah, I think that hits home for a lot of these guys. And yeah, so we'll see how it goes. Right now, it's just such a fun story.
1: A lot of chills on that first night, like just being in the building. Yeah. Even though you weren't, you know, you're not from Vegas or don't really have a connection to it, but it's like you just feel the weight of the situation.
0: I did. It, it, it was, it, it's hard to explain because. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't feel like you're at a hockey game uh, for that kind of reason. It felt like you're almost at an event, um, or almost like a part memorial. I don't know. It it was really kind of a a unique experience. But I, you know what? Find me a hockey fan that's not rooting for Vegas, regardless of where you live, and it, it seems like because of that, everyone kind of. You know, there, there was, it wasn't just Vegas uh, people from Vegas who were affected by that. There were Canadians, there were people from all
1: over the state. So uh, I think that's part of it. All right, Mike, thanks for coming in and uh, doing this true and false test. It's a quiz, a pop quiz. I'll be quizzing you next week at this exact same time. <laughs> so <good>, John. <laughs> it's true and false, but with your own, like, you know, your own answer sheet. You so. know what? I'm going to give you a true or false. Uh oh. <laughs> 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 thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, John.